This is the On the Touchline podcast. We're your hosts, Jason Broadwater and Aaron Rogers. Welcome to the show. In season three, episode 14, Aaron and I talked to Chris Hot Thompson. And Chris is the head women's coach at Virginia Military Institute, or VMI, uh, in Virginia. And Aaron, uh, you and Chris are actually going to play each other uh, in the 2020 fall season. Yeah, looking forward to it. I think um, it, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to to hear the perspective coming from a military uh, university. Um, the demands, psychological, physical, that that those players must must be under, and and how as a coach, how how do you deal with those? I was going to say um, it's got to be different compared to um, you know the the number of programs that are out there from you know NAIA, Division three, uh, Division two, junior college, whatever it might be. Uh, that is definitely a, a unique. Uh, set of circumstances and, and I'm with you I, I can't wait to hear um, you know what Chris has to say about that uh, before we get to Chris uh, a few friendly reminders so guys we really appreciate it when you leave a five-star rating in a review on Apple podcast so if you listen to the podcast regularly uh, hit the pod, hit the pause button go there now and leave us a five-star rating in a review for the show that helps more and more people in the footballing and soccer world find out about this podcast and helps us continue to grow. And we sincerely appreciate that uh, when you do that. Whatever platform you might listen on, we're available on all major podcasting platforms. So be sure that you subscribe to the show and you'll never miss a new episode when it comes out on Wednesdays. Uh, Aaron, before we get to Chris, um, if people want to connect with you on social media, how can they do that? at Ohio Soccer Coach Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, Aaron Rodgers, not the Green Bay Packers quarterback. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> you can find me at uh, Soccer Coach JB on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, guys, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris Hot Thompson, the head coach at VMI. I know that you and Aaron are going to be playing each other here the next two seasons. We were talking a little bit about that in the pre-chat. Um, Chris, tell folks listening to this a little bit about your background and um, how you got to be a mom. Yeah, um, you know, uh, so I went to Lake Forest College. It's a small Division three school, about 40 miles north of, of the city in Chicago. Um, you know, played soccer there all four years. Um, it was probably my least uh, favorable soccer option. Um, but academically and what I was looking for in school, it ended up being right for me. And fortunately, we ended up being good my last couple of years there. Um, you know, but after that, my plan was to go into counseling. I have a psychology degree. Um, you know, I was planning on doing that. and But I didn't want to go back to to grad school right away. So I kind of was, um, was looking for something kind of to buy the year or something. Um, at the time I was doing a school counseling internship at a, at a school downtown Chicago. Um, and, and they were like, Hey, why don't you come in and do a, a teaching assistant position with us for a year? It's like, cool. All right. So I started kind of pursuing that wasn't planning on doing anything with soccer. Um, kind of thought my days had, had been done. Um, 
but my mentor uh, and somebody who uh, I played for him for three years. I ended up working for him for five. Uh, he's the former coach of VMI. Um, you know, he kind of said, hey, why don't you come and coach a couple teams in the club that he was uh, the director of coaching for? And I was like, all right, why not? You know, a little mm -hmm. extra money. And um, so I was doing that for a bit. And, you know, at the time in Division Three, he's, he's like, hey, come and, you know, do a scout for us or come in, call a kid for us and kind of just get my foot in the door in the college game. Um, I found out later, obviously, that this was his plan all along, um, you know, but but at the time I didn't I was just like, yeah, whatever, um, you know, and so uh, I did that all of that for two years. I ended up being um, coaching. I was we were on the men's side at the time. And so I, I was coaching three youth teams, um, starting to help out and, and more and more responsibility each year uh, with the men's college team, with the team that I, you know, the, the school I played at, um, you know, and, and teaching during the day. Um, and it finally got to a point that, you know, I was obviously working, you know, 7.30 in the morning, teaching, going to college practice and going to club practice in the night. And then, you know, three or four or five club games and college games on the weekend. And finally, I was like, you know, I found myself at school doing recruiting work or doing soccer work. And, and it got to a point where I was finally like, OK, I think I want to pursue this full time. Um, and so I sat down with Chris, who obviously we're both Chris, but. Um, I sat down with Chris Bergman and, and kind of asked, you know, how do we make this work? Um, I took a pit, pretty big pay cut to, to try to make this work, um, you know, but it, I'm a big believer in pursue your passions. Um, I don't, you know, obviously money is important, but for me, it was about pursuing something that made me happy. Um, the school thing was fine. It was a job, um, but the, the soccer thing was where I was passionate. Um, and so for me, I ended up just, you know, working as many club teams as I could at the time. I ended up being getting onto the women's side of Lake Forest as well, um, helping out with both teams, being the, the first assistant for both teams. And, um, you know, did that for a year. And then after that year, Chris ended up getting the women's job here um, at VMI. And, and I was very fortunate that he was willing to bring me down with him. Um, came down here for two years. We took over a program that um, was – struggling pretty hard, um, you know, and, and really worked to, you know, to, to start to establish it um, in a lot of different ways, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, I left here after two years. I thought it was time. Um, I had been obviously with Chris Bergman for three years as a player and five as a coach. Um, and so I, it was definitely time for me to step out and, and, you know, kind of get my own experiences. And so I went to a school called Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, uh, to be the head coach. Um, you know, and uh, it was in the conference that I had played in at Lake Forest and coached in, obviously. So I was familiar with that territory, the conference, um, kind of uh, a little bit with Knox and what their values were. And I really felt like it, it fit with who I was as a coach and what I wanted to do and um, went in and, and took over a program that was starting to have success. And, um, and you know, we had two pretty fun years there, obviously making the NCAA tournament two years. Um, and then when Chris left to go to Stetson, um, you know, I got a call about uh, the VMI job and, um, you know, at no point was I planning on leaving Knox. You know, I was really enjoying my time there and the people and, and, and the group we had. But um, this was the job that, you know, my, my close friends in Galesburg knew that if this job came open, um, I wanted to pursue it. And fortunately, it's worked out and I'm finishing year one here at, at VMI. I wrote down a, a few different notes here, Chris, that um, 
talking about uh, you know uh, taking a, a pay cut, right? That you're sort of on one path, and um, I, I can completely relate actually because there's a, a part of my life where I was actually thinking about being a school counselor uh, as well, and um, to me that seemed like a really appealing uh, you know, lifestyle. And um, I got really far into a master's program, and um, I went and did a, an inter internship and a practicum, and I was working with middle school kids. Absolutely hated it, <laughs> and um, I mean, it. I, I hated every second of it. And my wife, uh, my family. I mean, people thought I was crazy to leave the program, you know, at the time. And for me, that satisfaction of wanting to work with a little bit older demographic, right? that recruiting of the player and that building the relationship with the player. And I love what you said about, you know, pursuing, you know, what you love to do. It's hard. And I'm, I'm going through that right now, right? That I was headed this way uh, for anybody watching this, you know, video, I was headed this way and now I'm wanting to go this way and to get into coaching full time. Aaron went through that, um, you know, early on in his career, I guess, what advice would you offer to somebody listening to this? Um, you know, that's maybe a takeaway to say, you know what, you can actually do it. Uh, and even if, you know, um, it doesn't really matter your age or your circumstances or, or whatever, but you can actually pursue what you want to do in life. Yeah, I think it's, it's just, it, it's finding that passion. Um, you know, that's, that's really important to me. Now I, I will, I will say I have some friends who view this completely differently. Right. Um, but for me, minus those maybe two years, when people ask, I tell people I haven't worked a day in my life. And, and that's really important to me is feeling, uh, you know, a sort of, of validation when I come here that I'm enjoying it. It's, it, it's more like a hobby than it is, you know, a, a job. And, and obviously, I mean, you guys both know how, how hard we have to work to, to be successful or, or in, in this line of work. But I think, you know, enjoying that is more important and you feel more fulfillment. You feel like, um, you know, you're getting something out of it. And, and that's important to me, not just going to a job where, you know, you're, you're working your eight or nine hours, you're punching your time card um, and, and just doing it to do it. But for me, it's, it's, you know, it's always on my mind. It's something that's important to me and, and it's woven into my life. And, and, and so um, if that's something that's important to you, I think it, it's always worth the, worth the risk. It's a scary thing to, to say is like, okay, I'm going to take a pay cut or I'm going to take this big risk. Um, but I think the payout is unmatched and, and certainly it was a risk. And fortunately for me, it's, it's panned out really well. And, and that's, that's not to say it hasn't had its triumphs and it's uh, it's hurdles. Um, you know, and I think that's what you have to understand is, is it's going to come with, with some hurdles and it's just kind of managing those. But, you know, I think it's having that end goal inside of, of just being happy. And, and, and I think that's, that's an important note, right. Is, is being happy and enjoying your life. And if, if that's something that can give that to you, um, then I think it's worth it. Yeah. Oh, and I think players pick up when, um, you know, if they know that we're going through the motion, right. Or that we're unhappy. Um, you know, I think players are, are pretty perceptive to understand that. So Aaron, bring you into the conversation. Well, you know, you talk about following your passion, and, and I think, um, you know, we've all been there. The other thing that really that really touched on something that's so uh, important to us is that we, we never stop thinking about it. And this is a 
where you're at home, you're on the weekend, it doesn't matter. You are still thinking about how do I get through to this player? How do we, what formation can we play? Or how do we deal with this? Or, and, you know, if you're not passionate about it, that'll drive you crazy. But that passion drives you to want to do that more. And, you know, you, you said, you know, you got hurdles, hurdles here and there. And, but the passion and the love for it, it, it allows you to uh, deal with it a little bit easier. And mm-hmm. talk, about, talk about some of those hurdles that you've had and talk about how you've been able to manage those hurdles. Because, I mean, you've coached at, you know, a lot of different levels here, males mm-hmm. and females, and that's a pretty big that's – a, that's a lot of history in a, in a reasonably short amount of time. Sure, yeah, um, and I think – I think you touched on it. I think it was figuring out where I fit in coaching. Um, you know, I think obviously that was, I was coaching club. Um, I liked it. I fell in love with the college side. I think it was figuring out, um, you know, coaching men's or women's. And I think just my personality fits in the women's game a little bit better. Um, you know, I think it, it, it was figuring out just where I wanted to go. Um, you know, I, I was, I'm very fortunate that to have somebody who threw me to the fire pretty quickly. Um, so for better or for worse, I was able to fail um, and try things and learn by doing, um, you know, and I know, I know there's some potential op- assistant opportunities out there that maybe aren't like that. And I was fortunate to have somebody that believed in me um, and let me fail and let me, you know, get some opportunities that, you know, maybe some other people my age at the time weren't getting, um, you know, I, I, when Chris was, was coming down to interview at VMI, um, I actually ended up going and interviewing at a, a division three school in Michigan. Um, you know, I wasn't sure that what was going to happen, if he was going to you know, bring me with and those kind of things. And this is in, uh, late 2014, early 2015, maybe, um, you know, and at the time, you know, I went into that interview and, and was kind of, spitting out all the things that Chris had done, right. Or this and that. And, um, when I, and, and I've realized this years later is, is when I came down to VMI and got this real full immersion into the division one level and, and, you know, this full-time day-to-day, um, action of it and really learning. Um, I felt like when I started doing interviews, you know, and especially at Knox and those kind of things, I was able to speak about what I would do and what my philosophy was. And I, and really looking back on that, would I have done an okay job or a fine job and learned on the fly? Sure. Probably. Um, but coming down to VMI as an assistant and getting this other experience where I was fully immersed into, um, the women's game only, um, the division one level at a place that's absolutely a different place than anywhere else in the country. Um, I learned, faster and and this you know i i've always said that my assistant time even if it was just two years at bmi was my most growth as a coach um you know and so then and then i felt prepared when i went and interviewed at knox a couple other places um and then coming back here uh, to interview at vmi most recently i was really able to say this is what i feel like i can bring to the table this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it versus just kind of spitting off what other people have, have said through my life. And I think part of it is just figuring that out. And, 
that's a hurdle in itself is figuring out who you are as a coach, figuring out how you work with players, how you're authentic, how you connect with people, um, you know, and then, and then those philosophies that drive your day-to-day actions. Um, and I felt like when I came down here, I was able to take the things that we were doing that I really liked and say, okay, how would I modify that? What do I like about it? Um, and the things that maybe I didn't necessarily agree with or um, the things I wanted to change. And I would jot that stuff down in a book. I, I still have them. I'm, I'm looking at them over my office here. Um, you know, my, my, my books from my time as an assistant here where I, I've written down the things that I'd want to do as a head coach, um, you know, and then, and then that shaped, um, you know, a blueprint we used at, at Knox and what we call our ideology here. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's those hurdles is just figuring things out on the fly. And, and like I said, it, it all started with having a mentor that was willing to throw me to the fire. I think, I think that you were uh, in an awesome position with Chris Bergman that he, and so you now recognize that. Cause I mean, I always look at it as, as a head coach, my job is to prepare the, the coaches that work with me to do whatever they want. If that is be a head coach or if that's to just stay as an assistant or go be an assistant at a power five school or something like that. And so that's wonderful. So now you have that blueprint ahead of you. So everybody that you work with from now on is going to gain that experience and that, you know, that it's, knowledge. It's funny you say that because uh, we had a recruit in our office uh, recently um, and, and the mom asked, you know, okay, what, you know, what are the chances that your whole staff's going to be together? And basically she said in, you know, whatever it was, four, five, six years. And, and I was like, you know, if I'm being honest with you, that number is probably pretty low. And, and, you know, if it is, it's because we've worked well together and whatever, but my job is to make sure that these guys are prepared as prepared as possible to move on to the next thing, whatever that means to them, right. And their desires and their wants. Um, and that'll develop as we have a relationship. But I think, you know, if I'm doing my job in four, five, six years, they've achieved a knowledge base and experiences that are allowing them to hopefully pursue whatever it is that they want, whether that be a head coach, an assistant at a bigger program, you know, et cetera. And they, I mean, they have to have some ownership in that. I mean, they have to have some ownership in, in your program because if they don't feel that ownership, then how invested are they going to be? In, in the program and you and, and everything that, that it takes to be the best uh, that that can be. And I mean, that philosophically, that's the way I look at it holistically as, as we're running our program is everybody has to have ownership from, from the players, obviously to the assistants. And, and that's how you can get, uh, in my opinion, how you can get the best out of everybody. But um, no, I mean, we oh, go, no, no, finish. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, I think, something we talk about a lot with our program is that it's our experience, not my experience. Um, and a joke I've started recently is, uh, you know, that, that does apply to my staff, but our experience, not our experience doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but you know, what I mean by our experience, not my experience is that it's kind of exactly, exactly what you just said, you know, yes, as coaches are, our job is to, to make those decisions and, and, and things, but I want input from everybody you know, it is everybody's experience here. And, um, you know, like you said, if, if players and assistant coaches and the athletic training staff, if they're invested in what we're doing, we're going to move, move along through our process at a higher rate than if it's just me saying, this is what we're doing. Um, so we get a lot of input from our players. I get a lot of input from my assistant coaches and how we drive what we do forward. Yeah. Relationships. 
Um, so, so going back to, to what you said um, about, because we may have a lot of listeners that are, are young in their coaching career and they're still trying to figure out what direction they want to go as it relates to male or female coaching. You obviously got to do both. What are the takeaways that you have from, from coaching males or coaching females and why did you feel like you fit best in coaching the female game? Um, yeah, I think for me, um, it was just about, you know, this is about the, the level of voice I coach with, although uh, my voice is, is half gone at the moment. So I, I apologize for that. But, um, you know, I think for me, I talk about being an educator um, and, and I, I really feel like I can connect with our group and stuff through conversation and through, um, you know, I think, and, and a lot of that comes through their listening, um, you know, and, and I don't know, my sample size on the men's side is coaching a program that I played for. Um, and so I, that is a little bit, um, tainted in a way, it, you know, because it, it was in, in essence, some guys I played with to be fair. Um, you know, but I just, I think just the way my communication style, um, the way I coach, um, just fits with, um, with the women's side. Um, you know, but I, I do think, you know, if I, if I had to, I, I, I certainly don't think I will, but I think there's, there's things I've learned over, over this period of time that, you know, I, I think a lot of things do translate both sides. Um, you know, and part of that, I think at the end of the day is more just figuring out who I, who I was as a coach, um, you know, and, and being authentic to that. And, and I think that translates a lot of different ways to whoever you're coaching. Um, and, and I think it's more figuring about how you deliver your message and, and how you get people to invest and buy in and, and, you know, coaching in general is just about the connections and relationships, like you just said. So, um, and that's not a, a male or female thing regardless. So, um, you know, I think for me, it was, it, I, I've always said that, but I think, at the same time, it was me figuring out who I was and just being able to deliver that in a better way. And at that point, I was I was fully on the women's side. So, so basically, what you're saying is males just don't listen. Well, that I, I didn't <laughs> want to get to that, but there's that too. <laughs> I mean, look, I was I was probably that way as a player too. So I can't I can't talk too much. <laughs> Chris, you said a couple of things that I thought um, were really interesting, um, especially as it related to you know being an assistant coach, right? Talking about you know, kind of putting notebooks together, things you observed or saw or, um, you know, just a part of that experience that you had. And I think it's my, this is, you know, my, my personal sort of philosophy talking here. I think coaches need to go and, you know, do some of those, uh, you know, really tough jobs that assistants have at times. Sometimes it's being the bad cop. Sometimes it's being the good cop. Sometimes it's picking up cones. Sometimes it's bagging balls. Sometimes it's, um, you know, planning out the session. Sometimes it's just pulling a player aside and saying like, dude, like, what are you doing? You know, what's going on? Because I think in a lot of ways, uh, an assistant coach is sort of like the, the intelligence gatherer or one of the intelligence gatherers, you know, for a team, right? And they're feeding, if the relationship is there, they're feeding that information, you know, up to the head coach or whatever that the best decision. Um, so I, I, I really like that piece of it. Um, I also like what you said about, uh, you know, if early on in your career, and I, and I can, again, relate to this very much, that, you know, you, you sort of take these ideas that you get from different coaches and people that you really like working with and, 
you know, this person might see the game one way or this person might see the game one way and you kind of, you know, sort of like a recipe, you kind of bring it all together. But at the end of the day, when you're leading a team or leading a program, it's yours, right? They're, they may not necessarily be there, to, you know, to, to have a game model. So I, I'm wondering for you, was it self-reflection? Was it uh, kind of going back and looking through your notes? Was it sort of a, a moment where you go, okay, these are some fantastic ideas of how the game should be played or how a program should be run or, you know, player engagement. Well, what do I really think about this? Or how do I really feel about it? And I'm wondering, you know, when that moment sort of happened for you. Um, yeah, I think, I think it was at some point in my assistantship here, you know, I, I worked for a couple, couple different head coaches and, um, you know, I really got to a point where I was really reflecting on things and really, you know, like I said, for a long time, it was, okay, this is what they had done. This is, you know, this is what we're doing versus I finally got to a point where I was really thinking about, is that how I would do it? Do I believe in that? Is that really, you know, and that, that goes to our program philosophy, to our playing model, to our culture, you know, um, there are plenty of things that I've taken from my previous bosses, uh, you know, plenty of things that just watching games on the weekend, oh, could we, could we potentially slide that into our system? Do we have the players for that? You know, those kind of things. Um, and then a lot of things is just, you know, um, what I believe in, but also then, when you go to a new program, so when I went to Knox and, and, and come to VMI, it's, it's what does the school believe in too, a little bit, right? And now with that, I, I wouldn't come to places where I didn't necessar necessarily feel like our values didn't merge, right? Um, you know, VMI is obviously a, a, a way different place than anywhere else and, and Knox being a, a pretty high academic school, you know, a lot of the values that those places had merged what we believe in, in in a program and um you know and i think those are all important it's just taking all those things you, you kind of noted that right it's just um and it kind of goes back to as if you're passionate about something you're always thinking about it and ways to change it ways to believe in it and i think for me it was it, it probably was during that assistantship here where i was really able to actually think about how do we how would i drive this forward if this was mine um you know and and, and again it's it's things from all over the place but it's also my beliefs and values and what I like about the game and, and how you want to play and you know what I got got out of my college experience and um, what other people have told me they've gotten out of their college experience their playing experience and um, kind of merging those different things that I think fit together to, to hopefully have players believe in and um, but again I think now that I am a head coach it's taking the reflections of the players that have been in our program and saying you know it, what are the things they would ha they would change about those things? You know, obviously it's overarching under our, our thing, but again, it's the players that have to buy into what we're doing and invest in that. And so it, if all of us are doing that, and so part of that is if they're giving me feedback, it's, it's reflecting on that and how can we change some things? What were you like as a player? Uh, Aaron and I talk about this from time <laughs> to time that, um, you know, uh, I mean, whatever it might be, um, I, I feel like I make a lot of things in my life a competition and I think I'm just wired that way um, to want to compete for different things, right? If I'm out for a run, if I'm out for a bike ride, if I'm whatever I'm doing, can I beat my time by five seconds, 10 seconds? You know, and it's just sort of these mental games I play with myself um, in terms of just that competition. Cause I'm, you know, I'm out there by myself running. Usually I'm not competing against somebody in terms of a 5k or, or whatever. 
And I wonder what you were like as a player. Um, I was I was pretty fiery. Um, you know, I think I tell my my players this all the time. Uh, I could do very few things in a game of soccer, but I could put a ball on a dime wherever wherever I wanted to put it. You now, if you asked me to run at a player that wasn't going very well, um, the other thing is I was fit. You know, so um, I could place the ball wherever I wanted, and I was fit. So typically, I played. Uh, actually, I played four different positions in four years, uh, mostly defensive. I like center back the the you know the best, but I was a five ten center back, so I had to make up for some things in in certain ways. But um, you know, but I felt good with my range of passing and and my fitness, and then I tried hard for the other things. <laughs> it's interesting in in coaches that I've spoken to, whether it be through the podcast or coaching courses or just you know networking or whatever it might be. Number of um, former goalkeepers, so Aaron and I fall into that category, but former center backs um, or defensive players that are coaching, male and female, um, has actually always sort of surprised me. And I think, and this is just, my, again, my own personal opinion here, I think it's the way we view the game, right? I would much rather watch a game basically from, you know, from the, the six-yard box out versus, you know, from the halfway line. Um, I feel like I can see what is happening. I feel like I have a better understanding of the game, you know, that sort of thing. Actually, I wish they would show games on TV that way. Um, <laughs> people think I'm probably crazy, but, uh, you know, I, there's something to be said about how we saw the game or how we see the game that I think has actually translated for all of us that have had sort of that defensive type of role into coaching. I don't know, maybe I'm reaching here, but. No, I think, I actually think that's a hundred percent. I mean, you know, it's funny you say that because I think probably 65% of the time when I'm recruiting, I'm sat behind the goal um, versus, you know, on the, the sideline with everybody else. And it's not that I seek that out necessarily, um, but something in my subconscious plants me there. Um, you know, I think I also grew up as the kid that was always asking questions to the coach and, you know, sat there if I was off the field, sat there on the bench. And um, But I think, you know, as, as a center back and a goalkeeper, you're charged with, organizing things and being vocal and kind of being being a leader and, and ideally having an understanding of the game um, you know and so I think that just progresses progresses well um, you know typically typically a lot of the traits you see in coaches are are with a center back or with a um, with a goalkeeper so I think all of those things I don't I don't think anything you said was wrong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what so you talk about taking things from head coaches and mentoring your mentorship. What, what's one of the biggest takeaways that you have from, from Chris Bergman? Like that was the number one thing that he right kind of impressed in you. Um, yeah, I think a couple different things, um, but partly because they were things I innately believed in um, and, and obviously I played for Chris. So um, growing up with that too. Um, but I think two things we stress a lot here is, is total development of the player. Um, and I've, I've kind of changed that in certain ways, but, um, and then experience, you know, I, I really believe it should be fun to play college soccer, you know, and, and we tell that to every, every player we talk to and every player in our program, it should be fun. You know, it doesn't mean, uh, you know, there's not going to be days where you're tired or it's hard or we're not going to push and challenge you because we are. Um, 
but it shouldn't be like, ah, oh, crap, I have to go to practice today. Right. And, and that's really important to me. And I think that was something he drove home. And um, obviously neither of the, those things for the most part have to do with soccer um, necessarily, but um, you know, those are the, those are the foundations of, of guiding players with the medium of soccer to being great people and great leaders. And, um, and that's something that's important to me. I mean, you know, we're going to have point zero zero one percent of our players go play professionally from here. Um, right. And, and VMI is a place that, that already kind of pushes leaders out there. Um, but for us, we want our players doing all four of those things at a very high level so that when they graduate here, uh, they can look back on their experience here and say, I got the most out of my experience at VMI or at Knox when I was there, or, you know, when Chris and I were here or, or at Lake Forest. Um, and those are two things that I think are just incredibly important. Um, and they were things that I went to Lake Forest for and played for Chris and believed in. And um, like I said, we've, we've kind of changed uh, little things here and there about, about what those mean to, to our program. But I think the, the essence are, are things that I just really bought into and have carried along. Yeah, I I think uh, one of the one of the foundations of what we talk about here is a question that I want them to ask themselves every day: Is am I finding joy in what I'm doing? Do I find joy in this every day? And exactly what you said, you know, it's not going to always be easy. You're going to have challenges. It's going to be hard. But if you find joy in it, and you find joy even in those tough times, because you know at the end it's going to pay off for you. I mean, nobody ever said it was going to be easy, but it's definitely worth it. And so th that's really important to me as well. So um, so speaking of, of VMI and your culture, you talked about what well, you mentioned, your VMI ideology. Yep. Hey, Aaron, we have a new sponsor in 2020. Yeah, what is that? Uh, it's Manscaped, and uh, have you ever been to the beach or ever been out somewhere and noticed the uh, the guy that's wearing literally like a, a rug, you know, hasn't really taken yeah. care of himself? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's pretty nasty, right? No one wants oh, to yeah. that. No, no. So uh, Manscaped has created a redesigned electric trimmer, and you and I actually both got these in the mail, and they're Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so you won't nick yourself uh, while you're trying to clean up those body hairs that are just a nuisance. Uh, manscaping accidents will finally be a thing of the past, so I think you and I can both give a high five for that. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to use the same trimmer that you use on your face for other parts of your body, right? That's kind of gross. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. So you can use our promo code OTTL at manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping. So that's OTTL at manscaped.com. Uh, you always want to use the right tools for the job, uh, your body, and below the belt. We'll certainly thank you. So that's OTTL at checkout at manscaped.com. And you'll get free shipping and 20% off today. <laughs> Give us a, a, a little brief explanation or um, crib notes or sure. whatever those are called these days. Yeah. Cliff yeah. notes. There you go. Cliff notes. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it, it it's a document. We have two documents that, um, you know, partially are the things that, that I've brought in saying, you know, this is what we believe in, but also, um, you know, it's, it's stuff that the players have contributed to as well. It's, it's kind of who, who we want to be, you know, at the top of it says, this is who we are, this is what we do. Um, you know, and, and so every constituent in our, in our program gets it and, and has an idea what this is about and get it. It walks through total development of the player. And for us, that's academic, uh, athletic, social, and military. Um, you know, and then it, it walks through um, the things we just talked about, you know, it, having a fun experience, um, you know, uh, everything we're doing, having a purpose, being more than a team, or yeah, more than a team, but being a program. Um, every person having a role and what that means. Um, it, it talks, it has our 10 standards on there that our, our players developed um, last spring, what they want to be about. Um, just all those, those kind of things. It explains what my commitment is, is going to be to you as a coach. Um, you know, it's, it's the first page in, in our binder. Um, and it's just a snapshot of, of what, who we want to be. And, and so as every new constituent comes into our program, they kind of have an idea of, of what we're about. How how does the military, I mean, because you were, obviously, there's a handful of universities in the country that are in a similar situation as, as you guys. How does the military component fit in? Because you're right, the, I mean, military is about leadership, and we try to foster leadership in our players, and you have, have that tenant built into, into your university. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not sure we have time for the full answer on that, but the, the snapshots of those are... Um, you know, there's some really good things to it and some really challenging things that we have to overcome, you know, for the fall season. So when we come to you guys next year, it'll be at the end of our hell week, right? The last day of our hell week is the day that we come to you guys. Um, oh, geez, you're going to be spitting fire, though. That's going to well, be crazy. <laughs> so so our freshmen, our freshmen are going through hell week and the start of what we call the rat line which is, I mean, in some essences, it's what you see in, in the movies of getting yelled at and doing push-ups, and there's a whole lot more that goes into it. But, um, you know, so basically right after we start our fall season, our, our players, are, our freshmen are starting the rat line, but our upperclassmen are running it. You know, so all of them are on their feet all the time. They're mentally drained. Um, you know, the purpose of, of VMI in some ways is, is to, to break you down, to build you up even stronger. The problem is, is our players are going through that, you know, especially if we have, you know, we had uh, nine freshmen this year, um, you know, nine players in our team were going through, are going through the hardest time of their academic career. You know, I don't, I don't want to speak to personal, um, mm -hmm. but you know, they're going through this adversity. Um, but I think, like you said, it's, it's about the, the leadership values and it's designed to, to, to make you mentally uh, grow um, and have to face adversity. Um, you know, I think those are some things. So, so just for on our end, it's figuring out some of the periodization things. Um, you know, our, our, our rats, our freshmen, as we call them, um, uh, did, you know, they did a 20 mile March yesterday. We had training today. It's, it's, it's figuring out some of those things. How do we, wow. how do we work through some of that stuff? Right. Um, you know, and there, there's so many different things that play into it, but it's just figuring out, you know, how to make sure that we have a, a great leadership structure in our locker room. You know, something we tell, we tell recruits we talk to is, is look, every college coach in the country is going to tell you we need to be a family in the locker room, right? But for us, we absolutely have to, to be, or we cannot get through this place. We cannot be successful. 
Um, and, and part of that is just because, because of the stressors that are going on day to day here, uh, especially in the fall. And, and it's getting through with players from all over the country. It's how do we move them through this process um, so that they're being successful in all four of those, those components we talked about. Um, it's about not bringing a, a hierarchy down from the Hill, the academic uh, center, you know, to the locker room, right? The military inherently obviously has a, a hierarchical structure. Um, it's, it's making sure that our locker room separates that, right? The moment you come down from the Hill, obviously a, a freshman needs to be able to tell, you know, a junior, Hey, you need to get stuck into that. You need to step left, step right. You know, they need to be able to seek advice from a senior. Um, and, and so we're not perfect at it, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's hard to do. It's hard to separate that in, in a 10 minute walk or eight minute walk from barracks. Um, you know, but it's about building that into our culture that soccer is, is just as much a priority as the academic piece, the military piece. Um, and to do that, we have to be this group that, that believes in one another and we foster this um, environment where, where people can get better in it versus coming down to the locker room and fearing getting yelled at by their senior mentor or fearing, you know, getting in trouble on the hill for something they said to somebody at soccer. Right. And, and it's it's a challenge, you know, and, and those are things. But I think you're also working with, you know, just some of the best people, you know, here. That's one of the reasons I came back. Um, incredibly motivated individuals. We talk a lot about delayed gratification with them. I say, you know, it's not coffee and roses and, and flowers and things up front, um, you know, but what you get out of it is unmatched. Um, you know, but it's getting them through that, that hard part up front so that they can, they can have the experience that that's, that's great. You know, something I don't know if you guys know is you aren't required to commission at VMI. It is a full military structure, just like the academies. Um, but you don't have to serve if you don't mm -hmm. want to. Um, we can also commission into pretty much any branch. So those are, uh, us in the Citadel are similar. Um, but those are the differences from the academies. That's pretty cool. I didn't realize that you didn't have to commission. So you kind of have the best of both worlds. When you get an education at VMI, you can be commissioned at the point of graduation or, or not. Wow. Um, one of the things that you said I really liked, and, and this is something that, that I try sometimes in vain, but and, and, and you will have a, an interesting perspective too, given the hierarchy structure that you have there you said that you want everybody in your program to feel a, a connectedness or an impact on the program. And, and that's what I talk about to our group all the time. We had 28 people on our roster this year and roughly 28 people every year. I want player number 28 to feel as impactful as player number one. What are the things that, that you do? Is there anything in specific that you do to help foster that environment? Yeah, I think, you know, um, First and foremost, the, the first thing that every player hears about this place is we really believe every player has a role, right? And that's from uh, a 40 goal a year scorer, which we obviously didn't have this year, um, to a starter, to somebody who's just working themselves into the rotation, or maybe somebody who hasn't played. Um, but if, if any of those players are falling off the train, we start to derail a little bit. Now, our job as coaches and, and potentially uh, some of our leadership is, is to help players who if they're laying in bed at night wondering what their role is, um, is, is how do we help them find that? You know, and I think something we talk a lot about is, is over four years, your time is going to, or your, your role is going to change, right? That's life. You know, you, it's going to go up and down and up and down, um, you know, and, and 
it's how do you adapt when, when that changes, you know, and, and the examples we give is maybe you've started, um, you know, the first 10 games of the year, you pick up an ankle knock, your role has changed, but you're no less important to our group. Right. And there's still things that you can do within that structure to help us, um, you know, move our success forward. And then flip that, obviously, if, you know, maybe you haven't played a ton, but it's coming in and, and being ready to impact us right away. I think a lot of that is done through making sure that every player has a say, has an investment, um, is, is feels like they can come in and, and, and talk with us and talk with the upperclassmen. Um, you know, we have our players meet with us uh, once every two weeks just um, very informally, hey, what's going on? You know, if you want to talk about soccer, we can, but we don't necessarily force it. If you want to talk about, I don't know, Cardi B, we can do that too. I don't, I'm not sure I would know what really <laughs> I what to say. Know. <laughs> <laughs> is, is exactly right. But, I got it. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I want them to f- just feel a comfort uh, of talking to us. And, and, you know, we seek input on a lot of different things and, um, you know, I'm a pretty transparent dude. I'll give them a lot of information and, and, and I want that feedback of, of what they think. And, uh, you know, currently, even, even currently we're, we're investigating certain ways to even get more, more of that feedback. I think, um, just making sure every, every player. And like you said, from, from one to 28 feels an investment in what we're doing, even if that doesn't mean 90 minutes a game, you know, and, and that's really important to us. Chris, don't let Aaron fool you. He's uh, actually the uh, the president of the Cardi B fan club, <laughs> the, uh, the Athens, Ohio chapter. Um, <laughs> so I I wonder. Um, so uh, you know how, what you're describing, Chris, probably isn't for everyone, right? And that's not, you know, not a criticism, right? I mean, I, I had a good friend of mine growing up who went to West Point. And I remember him telling me about that experience and just how different it was than, you know, going to a small liberal arts college that I went to and um, the demands, you know, put on him. I want to kind of jump into the, the psychological side, right? Because we talk a lot about that on this podcast of the mental, you know, sometimes fatigue and exhaustion and the, the pressure and the, um, you know, the, the balancing act that not only we as coaches have to do, but as players. And I, and I wonder how open players are. You mentioned that a little bit, that you know, having that time for them to come in and, and talk about whatever's on their mind. But it seems like they're, they're pulled in a lot of different directions, as, as any you know, athlete at, at that level would be. Um, I, I wonder how willing or how open they are to share just some of their struggles, and especially as a, you know, say if you're a, a freshman coming into this for the first time, and this is, this is probably like, whoa, <laughs> my head's spinning right now, right? Sure. You know, I, I, I wouldn't last a day, I'll be very honest. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't pass the fitness test, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just wonder how open they are, um, you know, about that, and sort of, can you know, sharing things with you. Sure, uh, you know, I think it- it certainly differs on, on the kid. Right. You know, um, but we try to make sure there's as many structures in place that they can go to. I think it's, you know, going back to assistant coaches, I think it's great to have different types of people on your staff. Um, you know, something that I really had to learn as a head coach is not everybody's going to like me and be okay with that. Now, obviously with the, the note that, you know, you're still going to work as hard as you are with any other kid to, to try to connect with the kid and make that better. 
Um, but they may feel more comfortable going to one of my assistants. They may feel comfortable going to our athletic trainer. Um, part of that is why we, we really work to have no hierarchy in the locker room so that they feel comfortable going to um, the upperclassmen. Uh, VMI has a structure in place that they have um, a senior mentor as a freshman, and typically it's within our team. You know, so hopefully going to that. And it's just making sure they're aware of all the different places that they can go to, to get that off their chest and, and, and just making it so that um, that process is comfortable for them, um, you know, and making sure that, that one bad experience doesn't ruin their, their belief in that. Um, you know, and I think in a place where, where sometimes it, it, they feel like they shouldn't speak up, we have to kind of force it a little bit. Um, and I think that's partially through just checking with the, checking in with them and, and making sure that the questions we ask are, ideally getting the responses out you know and and part of that's just just being here for for uh you know this i'm going into my fourth year at vmi obviously broken up but just knowing what the process is here and what the stressors are and you know in in every player that we have that comes in through the rat line handles it in a different way right we have players that laugh through it we have players that cry through it we have players that you would have no idea they had a personality because they're just you know, pushing through it. Um, and it's just trying to connect with them in their way and, and how they're going to let you know that, that things are going on. Um, but also making sure that they have access to their support systems and us and in different ways. So, yeah. Um, in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the training ground and, and match day, um, I always like to ask coaches, what, what are you like? Uh, I will use this example. I was at a training session yesterday and I, we were on a break and I kind of thought to myself, I'm really engaged in this session. And I was working with some younger players or whatever, but I, I was really enjoying myself. And, you know, I, I, I tend to be a little, little chatty, a little, um, you know, uh, really giving a lot of praise and things like that. That doesn't always match what people see from me on match day. And, and part of it too, it depends on the age group that I'm working with, right? My high school team is going to look a little different than a, a U9 group, a club team. Um, but I, I always like to ask coaches, what are you like, you know, uh, on the training ground, but also on match day? Yeah, I think on the training ground, um, you know, my voice doesn't get much more than this. I think it, it's it's a fun atmosphere, fairly energetic, but um, it's, it's that of an educator, you know, we're by no means strict, but obviously we have intentions of getting everything we can out of a session. And, um, but, you know, like I said, part of, we talk about college soccer being fun, but also at, at a place like VMI, things need to be fun. It needs to be some sort of a release. And, um, that's obviously it's a balance, right? You still need to be, have the drive and intensity of a training session that, you know, you're preparing to play for the weekend. Um, you know, but I think it's, it's having that, I think for me, it's, it's that of an educator. Now, uh, similar to what you just said um, on, on match day, it, it may be, uh, it depends, right? Like I think for the most part when communicating with our players, it's, it's like that. Um, but I definitely, I definitely am a little bit more passionate um, invested. Um, I, I think figuring out how to utilize that is still something I'm, I'm working through, but um you know, but I think that's, you know, as I talk about finding my authentic self, I also don't think that's a bad thing. I think it, you know, the reason I can connect with, with some of our players and things is because of how passionate I am and invested I am. But uh, during a, during a match, I probably walk 
uh, half of what the players do because you'll see me pace up and down and up and down. Mm-hmm. And and I try. I've tried to sit. I I tried really hard. Um, and so far that is not working. Um, I like to pace. I like to. It allows me to to chat with all the players on the bench that are that are there, and it allows me to, you know, um, and and occasionally allows me to yell at a referee. Um, my assistants would um, down would would say I just downplayed that by a lot, but you know something I'm working through too. <laughs> Chris, I'm with you. I have Vance in my pants. Um, you know, I, I I've tried, and I usually sit for probably a minute or two, and then I'm up, and I'm same thing. I'm pacing back and forth and, and moving around, and a lot of it, quite truthfully, for me, has just become observational. Um, you know, and I'll interject obviously when appropriate and have a conversation or try to have a conversation with an official, but sometimes that's, uh, you know, falls on deaf ears, I guess you could say. Um, so something new that we've been doing, and Aaron, I'll let you ask this question uh, about the, the clubs and the teams and the, uh, you know, who we support. Um, so go ahead, Aaron. We, we, we're all passionate about soccer and, and we love it. And, you know, we talk about the, the psych social part and and how we interact but the fun part of it is supporting a team so who do you support who do you love who do you live and die by every kick of the ball uh from yeah uh i'm a i'm a huge manchester united supporter uh you can see if i turn my camera you could see the flag uh here in my office but uh obviously uh dire times at the moment um but you know, kind of that was the first club I was I was just exposed to, really. Um, you know, and and just seeing that growing up, it, it was obviously brilliant and, and something I fell in love with. And uh, my best friends, um, who I played club ball with and, and went to a rival high school of mine, kind of we we had we shared that same experience. And um, so for me, it just fell in that love. I've, I've always been a huge uh, men's national team guy and women's national team you know supporter and. Um, you know, obviously uh, on the men's side, we're trying to figure some things out as well. Um, you know, but for me, it's, 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 it's been that passion and it, it, it relies on kind of where I fell in as a kid. Um, and, and that won't change. So what, do you have a favorite memory of supporting Manchester United? Um, yeah, probably, um, in the Champions League final when, uh, John Terry slipped, um, you know, that's because yeah. uh, we had a buddy, a couple of buddies of mine had started at Buffalo Wild Wings, um, you know, watching the game. And I, I, for some reason, had to go home and, and I made it like just in time for the penalties and, and like was running into my house, you know, and at the time it was these big tubed TVs and, you know, or at least that's what we had, um, you know, and, and, and it wasn't that yeah, long ago. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. But well, that's what we had, um, yeah. you know, and, and flipped it on. And yeah, I, I guess I made it sound like it was like the 1800s, but uh, <laughs> no, but um, you know, and just seeing that moment w- was pretty cool. I, I, I you know, have vague uh, memories of, of, you know, Ole and and those times, Mm -hmm. but I was, I was pretty young at that point. So. Oh, I remember that vividly because I wasn't young at that time. (laughs) And and I, but the most, the greatest experience is the most recent experience. So it was awesome watching Liverpool smash Man United yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's all going to come crashing down. 
Man, it, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting just obviously growing up as a, as a United supporter, but, you know, being a fan of, of just soccer and, and good football in general, it, it's, you know, watching Pep do what he's done in the intricacies of that and then watching Klopp do what he's done in the intricacies of that, it, it, you know, it's, it's hard being, you know, these two clubs you've grown up being told to hate and watching them play this football that's just so intriguing and, you know, you want to learn about it. And it's like, okay, you know, and then obviously on the other end, United not necessarily having a great identity at the moment is, is interesting. It will never change my support, but it, it is interesting to watch this, this football being played that's, um, you know, just so impressive with these clubs that you were just, just indoctrinated to hate. Well, I can appreciate that. I've supported Liverpool since the late 80s. So um, <laughs> I've been through a long time of lack of identity is on the field. And so I appreciate that, but I can never appreciate Man United, <laughs> even when they win all the leagues. But I do appreciate David De Gea because he is every time Liverpool and Man United play, the guy pulls out them. I mean, he's an awesome goalkeeper. But he pulls out sure. some of the most amazing saves. So let me ask you: Do you think uh, do you think that was a foul on De Gea, uh, Van Dyke? You know, immediately when it happened, I said, "Yeah, that's the ref's got to call that." And, and then when he didn't call it, I was like, "Oh, okay." And then when he went to VAR, I was like, "They're they're going to call it back." I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I could see it either way. I mean, if they sure. didn't call it. You know, because Van Dyke was playing the ball. I mean, he never he never even knew where De Gea was. The only difference, the only thing that made it a foul, I think, is that De Gea obviously can use his hands. So he was just that little bit above Virgil's yeah. head. And when he had a grasp of it, then Virgil's body barged him over. And that's kind of what made him drop the ball. So in that sense, I could say, I could see, you know, but – if the result didn't go 2-0 to Liverpool, then I'd have said, no, that was <laughs> yeah. definitely not a foul. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, you go through that game and it's like, okay, that, you know, this that 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 point is not going to matter. You know, that foul call, it, you know, it's it's because, you know, you obviously dominated play and had the chances. But there there's a couple moments, right, where it's United has a chance here and there. Absolutely. And maybe 10 minutes of play and it's like, that might come back to bite, you know, Vitamin, mm -hmm. and so that's that's why I was curious. No, I mean I, I agree with you absolutely. It could have, and um, but you know I think it I think it would I think it could go either way. But uh, I mean the two goals that Liverpool scored or, that were disallowed in the first half were unbelievable goals. Yeah, unbelievable yeah. goals. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And and Jason, you're a, a Everton, is that right? That's the uh, the cross I have to carry in life, Chris. <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I, I don't even know what to say at this point. <laughs> I haven't won a trophy in so damn long. Um, I, 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 well, I don't know. Uh, you know, and I, I'll say this. I hope that things will continue to get better under you know, Ancelotti. Um, I think he's realizing that, you know, that this is going to be a project and there's guys that are in the first team that quite truthfully don't deserve to play in the premier league right now. And he will gradually weed them out. Um, you know, they may end up on other clubs as, as bench players or whatever, but um, 
you know, there, there's only a handful of people and he's identified a couple of guys he wants to build around. So I'm curious to see, um, you know, I, I think for Everton, honestly, I would be happy if they're consistently challenging for a Europa League spot. Um, and in that conversation, I mean, if they would, you know, all, all the, everything, all the stars align and, you know, they catch a year like Leicester, and, you know, can do no wrong from a few seasons ago, but um yeah, uh, you know, the story a thousand times, but it was for the American players um, that were on Everton, what drew me in, you know, as a goalkeeper, Tim, Tim Howard, I mean, is someone that I have a great respect for. And, um, you know, so it, it's funny what gets you in the door as a, as a supporter, but then why you stay, you know, and um, yeah, you fall in love with it. You fall in love with everything. And, uh, you know, I, I've actually, people have asked me, um, friends here locally, they're like, would you ever consider like supporting another Premier League team? I'm like, it's too late now. Yeah. I, I mean, you just, once you're attached to a club, you can't do it. You know? Yeah. I mean, there, there's other teams that I like watching and it's, Chris is it's exactly what you said. I appreciate what Pep does. I appreciate what Klopp does. They're fantastic football managers period, the end. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, my loyalty, my highs, my lows are, you know, are going to be with the club that I support. But yeah, I, I, and I, I tell people this all the time too. I'm equal opportunity. If there's a, a soccer match on, I don't care what it is, who it is, whatever. I mean, I've watched the Australian league <laughs> because I wasn't able to sleep one night. I was about to say, that tells me about your sleep schedule. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm and I'm like, you know what? There's soccer on? Okay. I've watched it, the Indian League. I mean, it, whatever. I, I'll watch it. I'm, you know, so easy. when As long as it's on, I'm cool. So, uh, But, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny, though, the, the absolute contradiction that this is going to sound like. I mean, I love to watch Ajax play. Uh, I was watching their match from yesterday, uh, earlier today. They're just fun to watch, and they're just. I think that the fact that they play a lot of young guys and these guys that they eventually sell and you know whatever, but what they've built through their academy is incredibly fascinating to me. Um, I, I like watching Bayern Munich um, just because I like their style. Again, they're kind of like me and me that they're kind of figuring that out lately. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's teams that I appreciate and whatever. But, you know, in terms of that sort of live and die, yeah, it's. Unfortunately, Everton football club. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, Chris, if uh, if people want to connect with you and follow along with what's going on at VMI, how can they do that? Yeah, um, obviously my email is online on the, the VMI website. Um, my Twitter handle is CoachCHTVMI. Um, you know, I, I'm active, sort of. Um, I do a lot of retweeting and um, and reading, I don't do a whole lot of tweeting, um, but certainly can connect with me there. And, um, and if you want to DM me and, and, and chat, I'm, I'm always about that and, and can set up phone calls and things. So um, I'm sure I have an Instagram, but I don't really know how, I, how much I use it or how to work it. So, <laughs> um, so Twitter or, or email is probably the best place. Cool. Well, Chris, uh, it has been a very enjoyable chat, man. And uh, so glad that we were able to get you on the show and a uh, long time coming for sure. But um, would love to have you back sometime and um, just really, really good stuff, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. No, I appreciate you guys. And, and I know we, we had been talking about it for a while, so I was glad we were, we, we were able to make it work. Yeah. And uh, make sure the listening audience circles the, the date on the calendar when you guys play each other. Um, 
you know, we'll, we'll be sure to do like a, a special like uh, you know, post game, uh, you know, podcast. Uh, here, we, here we are with the managers on the sideline. Yeah, do it live, live from Athens, Ohio. <laughs> I don't even remember the date. Do you? Uh, <laughs> August. You better. 20, no, I do. It's, it's I, on I my, have it here. It's no, on I my desk at home. All right, off. If I was in my office, like Chris, I could tell you I'm just sitting in in the uh, dungeon of the house. August twenty third, twenty twenty. Circle, Circle the date. Awesome. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, I hope I'm able to, uh, to get down and, and see that in person. And uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, at some point we'll have a chance to meet up and uh, actually meet face to face. So good stuff. No doubt. Awesome. Cool. All right. Your intro. All right. A big shout out to Chris Hot Thompson for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Uh, Aaron, I, I feel like a, you know, a broken record or a, a CD back in the day that sort of, you know, uh, keeps kind of replaying itself from time to time. That was a really fantastic chat. And I love the, I, we covered so much ground uh, in this particular episode not only the the challenges of um, you know what it means to be part of a military academy and what that looks like for players, I I can only imagine uh, if I went into that type of environment, um, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable really really quickly, uh, and I think Chris and, and his team are, are doing a really great job. I think using a using soccer or using football in this case. As, a, as kind of the balance and kind of the yin and the yang to what they're getting in other parts of their, you know, academic experience. It's fascinating to, to listen to him talk about how obviously you're emotionally stretched to the limit at a military academy and the soccer part of it is the release and emotional release. And so how do they find joy? How do they find that fun in that part of their life because um yeah i mean it sounds like as he explained the the rat week and and all the the mental stress that they and physical that they must go through to kind of follow in that line of of leadership training that the military uh, undertakes um the difference because i think a lot of times um sometimes people get caught up in the stress and the pressure of being an athlete and, you know, instead of it being the release, they, they internalize that stress and pressure and, and they're at VMI, they're, they're using it as a release. And I think that's a, uh, it's a good message for everybody to recognize and say, look, it's a game, enjoy it, have fun and, and let it be a release from the things that you might encounter in life. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's the, uh, the beauty of sport, right? That it is meant to, at the end of the day to be that release for all of us, for coaches. And yes, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Uh, yes, our players put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, but at the end of the day that, you know, we're playing the best game in the world and we have to remind ourselves of that. And um, it's easy to forget that sometimes. And I, I know throughout my career, I've forgotten that at times, but you know, to use that as sort of a way to recenter yourself um, you know, I, I appreciate what Chris and, and his staff are doing to uh, allow that environment, um, you know, for, for his players. 
also really liked what Chris said about pursuing his dream. And I guess this sort of hit home, you know, personally for me. And, you know, Aaron, we've talked about this before that we as coaches have, if, if coaching is someone's calling in life, and it doesn't matter if it happens at 20, 25, 30, whatever, 50, that people should do whatever they can uh, to pursue that happiness that coaching brings. And, um, you know, it, I, I'm not telling anyone listening to this that it's easy. Uh, and I'm going through it right now where, you know, heading one direction professionally and then trying to go another direction professionally. But at the end of the day, it goes back to finding that joy and finding that happiness. And, um, you know, for as many training sessions as you and I have been a part of, it still brings me joy to go to training. You know, it's, I never look at it as, oh, God, I got to go to training today. It's still fun. And, um, you know, for any young coach out there that, you know, has may, may have given up on the dream or wondering how they can do it, not going to, you know, not saying it's going to happen overnight, but with a little bit of hard work and sort of gradually chipping away at it, you know, a few years in, you might be headed in the direction that you want to go. So, um, you know, that hit, hits home for me and really appreciate what Chris had to say about that. Yeah. And I think it, it just, uh, it shows that, that your passion drives you and, and in anything that you're passionate about, you're always going to be Im immersed in it. And, and, and so that, that helps you because we're thinking about this all the time. We're thinking about coaching all the time. And, and when you're passionate about it, it makes it easy. And then, as you said, and we all say it's, 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 um, it's used all the time. Um, I've never worked a day in my life by having a passion. That's my vocation. And I, I know we all feel the same way that, you know, I don't really feel like I go to work. I mean, I, uh, because we're passionate about it and, and to, to go down that path of, of what's drawing me to what I want to do with my life. And we've all been there. We've all said, Oh, I've got this path of whatever profession that I could go into outside of coaching or coaching and, and, um, and those that, that were drawn to this. Um, it's definitely a passion. It's, it's definitely something that we, we can live out on a daily basis. And that authenticity, uh, I'm sorry, authenticity that he spoke about definitely helps in how you can relate to the people around you in your sport. Guys, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you'll probably start to see that certain themes um, emerge uh, throughout the guests that we have on and, um, you know, authenticity, being an authentic self. Uh, the psych psychological side of the game, the pursuit, the journey. Uh, these are things that we talk about often. And uh, You can find new episodes of uh, the On the Touchline podcast every Wednesday. And um, Aaron, if folks want to connect with you on social media, how can they do that? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Ohio Soccer Coach. You can find me at Soccer Coach JV uh, on the same platforms as well. And guys, um, if you're looking for a gift uh, for yourself or your significant other, don't forget to stop at our uh, partner, Manscaped, uh, manscaped.com, and we can save you money by using the promo code OTTL, and that'll also get you free shipping on your next So use that at checkout. All right, guys, uh, we will talk to you very, very soon. Uh, I'm Jason Broadwater. 
And I'm Aaron Rogers. This has been the On the Touchline podcast. Thank you for listening. When I saw somebody walking through with a Cowboys jersey on, I'm like, what are you, what are you wearing a Cowboys jersey? That is so random. That's funny. Yeah, that's so uh, weird. If I had to guess, it, that's probably your team, right? Nah, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I have to be a Packers fan, don't I? Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there.